0: amen <clears throat> turning your Bibles if you will to once again to the Gospel of Mark chapter 10 and we will be closing um, this chapter reading the the final verses of this chapter and setting the stage for uh, chapter 11 when we meet next time so far in our study we've been at this for many months as you know and um, and but we've we've learned more and more as we've gone along who Jesus is, and we followed the ministry of Christ through many miracles, and beginning back in chapter eight, if you'll recall, we noticed a shift in kind of the the pace and the location, and in the the nature of Christ's ministry. And I think it's kind of helpful while while Mark doesn't really give us uh, the the headings and you know of of this is Act 1 or Act 2 and Act 3, we really have seen in these middle chapters kind of Act 2 of the Gospel of Mark. And and what we're going to look at tonight is the close of what I'm going to call Act 2 in the Gospel of Mark, because in this middle section, there's a transition between the miracles, and then in the middle teaching, we saw Christ teaching his disciples, telling his disciples, as we talked about last time, Uh, He told them three times what he came to do, that he was going to be crucified, and he was going to be buried, he was going to rise again on the third day, Um, and the disciples don't don't really get it. And so, um, each time the the disciples, as they, in response to Jesus' announcement and and teaching to them about what was was going to happen to them, they showed their, their ignorance, their woeful ignorance, and their... At best, partial understanding. And so here we kind of have the other bookend of this middle section in the healing of blind Bartimaeus. What this section opened with was another healing. And in that healing of a blind man, it was a partial healing at first. And then Jesus came back and completely healed the blind man there in the middle of chapter 8. And that was to to kind of a visual representation to the disciples to say... You're not really getting this completely and clearly, but you will. And so here we see the end of this section and where, how Mark tells us about blind Bartimaeus. And then in the next chapter, chapter 11, we'll begin the march into Jerusalem for the Passion Week and the events surrounding Christ's crucifixion, death, and resurrection. I want us to consider this text under four headings. First, the poverty of Bartimaeus, this man, the spiritual sight of Bartimaeus, the great mercy of the Savior, and the ready obedience of Bartimaeus. I want us to read this text, but before we do, let us pray and ask God's mercy and blessing upon us as we look to his word. Let us pray. Lord God, your word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, And Lord, there is a work that your word does, and we pray that you would work your word in our hearts tonight. And Lord, may it accomplish what you intend for it to do. And Lord, I pray that we would sit as your people, as your children, as your sons and daughters, that we would sit under the authority of your word, for in it you reveal yourself. And in this passage, Lord Jesus, we see the faith of this man who was who was really unremarkable in so many ways. And we see your great mercy, Lord Jesus. Teach us from your word tonight, we pray. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Mark chapter 10 and beginning with verse 46. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Amen, and we praise God that he has spoken to us tonight in his holy and inerrant word. Now, I know some of you know mountains much better than me. I think there's probably some within our congregation that have lived in in Colorado or some western states where they're used to driving in the mountains. But I'm a flatlander. I'm from Kansas. So when when I came to Katy and it's flat around here, that's okay. So in the few times that I've driven in the mountains, it's always been a stressful time. I remember my mom being really anxious and nervous um, when we would, the few times when we would drive in in the mountains. And and there's preparations, there's there's things you need to know about mountain driving. Um, Often there's 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 places to pull off in case your car overheats, there's places to pull off. I was amazed that there were places to pull off in case your brakes failed. So when in when when we see in this text about going up to Jerusalem, it literally means that. Because Jerusalem, in relation to Jericho, is about 3,500 feet higher than Jericho. It's about a 17-mile uh, uh, trek between Jericho and Jerusalem. And so here Jesus is with the crowds on his way to Jerusalem. And Mark is, has, has really, I, I, almost without exception, I, I would have to look to see if there were any exceptions, but... Almost everything Mark tells us, he talks about the crowds. But often it's the crowds that are just there to see what's going to happen. Sometimes they're genuine disciples. Sometimes they're just looky-loos, like we call them. People that are just kind of there for the spectacle. People that are there to see what Jesus might do. Who's he going to heal today? What's going to happen? What's this man going to teach? What interactions and, and conflict might there be with the scribes and Pharisees? But this crowd is different because, as we talked about in in the introduction, we are leading up to Passion Week. This is a crowd of worshipers that are going to Jerusalem for Passover. So it was likely a great crowd that was with Jesus at this time as he's making his way from Jericho up to Jerusalem. And as as they are leaving the city of Jericho... Here is this man, blind Bartimaeus. And we see, first of all, his, his poverty. He's, he's a man that's... He's blind. That's, that's his condition. He had... In, in, and you've got to think in the, in the terms of, of the first century... ...what it would be like to be blind in those days. He had no means to support himself. There was no social welfare. Maybe, maybe there were kind people that gave to him... ...but his option, his only option probably was to beg. There were no job training programs, no braille, no skills that we know of that he had. And so he was a beggar. But he placed himself along this road because of the the crowds that were on their way to Jerusalem. If you remember from earlier in this passage, in in this chapter, Jesus had this interaction with this rich young man. And what a stark contrast blind Bartimaeus is to the rich young ruler. This man came with great possessions and Jesus really put his finger at that point in his heart where his, his, where his idols were. And he told him to sell what he had and give to the poor. But Bartimaeus had nothing to sell. Bartimaeus had nothing to bring. He was completely destitute as we would say in our society today. And not only was he blind and, and a beggar, but he was marginalized by society at that time. Commentators look at his name, and they say that he could have been of mixed ethnicity because his, he's, his name, Bartimaeus, means son of. The, the, the prefix bar means son of. And the word Timaeus, it actually tells us his father's name was Timaeus. And that's a Greek name. So it could be that, that his father was of mixed ethnicity, maybe, or, or maybe he was a Greek who married a Jew. We don't really know. Timaeus, I mean. Um, and so he was, for, for that reason, he was probably further marginalized. He was cast aside by the crowd. They tried to silence him as he, as he was crying out. He was not, as we said, like the rich young ruler... He had nothing to bring. He was not like James and John, who earlier in this same chapter have, have asked for that position and place of power and authority. He knew he had nothing, none of that. He was desperate. He was really nobody, in a sense, because blind people were, were probably very common for a variety of reasons, and he was just an ordinary person. And yet, Scripture gives us, and I think this is the only time in the Gospel of Mark where where Mark gives us the name of the person who was the recipient of a miracle. And really, we need to see ourselves in him, because he he was poor, he was destitute, he was blind, he was needy. Jesus said in the opening words, the first words of the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But we also notice not just his poverty and resulting from his blindness, but we see in him spiritual sight. And that's what's ironic in this. As J.C. Ryle said, he was blind in body but not in soul. He had no ability to see with his natural eyes, but he saw with his eyes of faith in a way that that others could not. It's said of Helen Keller that she said the only thing worse than being blind is having sight, but no vision. This man had no natural sight, but he had vision. He had spiritual vision, and he saw what many others could not see. And what did he do? He did the only thing he could do. He did what desperate poor beggarly blind men do and they cry out for mercy and and he heard that jesus of nazareth was coming by now mark shows us that it is jesus the jesus from nazareth jesus was a common name at that time but he knew it was the jesus and he cried out jesus son of david have mercy on me he knew he didn't deserve anything And he looked to the right place for mercy. He looked to the healer, the one that had a reputation that he had no doubt heard of. He looked to the right place, to Jesus, the healer. And he calls him the son of David. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That harkens back to 2 Samuel 7 when the promise that God gave to David that there would be one that sat upon his throne that would reign forever. And so, really, when he is saying son of David, he is that is a messianic term. He is recognizing him as the Messiah. Now, his understanding was probably not as well as ours, you know, because we have the benefit of looking back on this and understanding all of Scripture, some of which had not been written at this time, to understand who Jesus the Messiah was. But he was recognizing something about Jesus Christ that other people did not see. There was some kind of understanding of who Jesus was for him to use this phrase. He was blind in body but not in soul. He looked to the right place for mercy and he was persistent. The rebukes that he received after his initial cry only made him cry out all the more, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And what's interesting is his cry was a pre-heralding of Christ as the Messiah. For in the very next chapter, we're going to see Jesus coming into Jerusalem in his triumphal entry and people shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. And yet here is this common beggar, this blind man that had spiritual sight and understanding, and God had worked faith in him somehow to herald Christ in this very humble moment. And Jesus recognized and rewarded his faith, and in this we see the great mercy of the Savior. Remember in this second uh, part of the book of Mark, and and in this act two, as we're going to call this, Jesus has, we've, we've seen in the Lord Jesus a developing resoluteness, if you will, that he is on a mission and that he has set his face and he is going up to Jerusalem. He knows what is before him. He is facing the cross. He is feeling the weight of it. And in a previous passage in chapter 10, we saw how Jesus has, was walking out in front of the disciples and the disciples were, were, were somehow interested and amazed at, what was, at Jesus, what he was doing. So we know that this was very much upon the mind and the heart of our Lord Jesus. And it was evident in how he acted, in how he traveled. And here he is on the final leg of this journey going up to Jerusalem. Many of the people around him we're, we're, we're chanting or singing those psalms of ascent that we see in, Psalm, uh, in the 120s and 130s of psalms. And, and no doubt the Lord Jesus wanted to rejoice like his fellow tra- travelers as they're going up to Jerusalem. But yet it weighed upon him what he was facing. And we see that developing in the text as we go along. And here's this, this, this man, he hears this cry, and Jesus stops. He stops when he's, when he's pressing towards the cross. He's pressing for what he came to do to accomplish the mission that he was sent to do. And Jesus stops, and he asks him, he sees the faith of this man, and he says, call him. And they call the blind man, and they say, take heart, get up, he's calling you. Maybe the, some of the same ones that a few moments ago were saying, "Be quiet, you know, don't speak," and then the Lord Jesus, in His authority, comes along and says, "Call him," and so he comes. And of course, Bartimaeus is is eager to hear this news. He throws off his cloak, he springs up, and 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 and, and maybe blindly literally runs to Christ following his voice and maybe they lead him by the arm we don't know exactly but he comes to Christ and Jesus asks him what do you want me to do for you does that sound familiar remember it was the same question that Jesus asked the disciples when they said Lord we want to we want you to give us what we ask for you know this this crazy idea of being on the right hand and on the left hand of the Lord in his glory And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And they pose, James and John posed that question that, that we just mentioned, that they wanted positions of power and authority on the right and left hand of the Lord Jesus in his glory. What does Bartimaeus say? He just says, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. I just want to see. He knew that he could put his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. Jesus cares. He said... To, to, to the, They said to Bartimaeus, take heart, get up, he's calling you. He replied, he responded, he came, and Jesus loved him and showed his care and concern for him. Finally, we see, lastly, the ready obedience of Bartimaeus. We, he ran to Jesus, Jesus spoke to him with a word, he healed him, and he immediately followed. And... When you think about where we are in Mark and where we are in, this, in, the, in the drama of the gospel, they were on their way to Jerusalem. He just fell in with the disciples there when Jesus was facing the cross. And it's, it's very likely that Bartimaeus witnessed the crucifixion. He joined Jesus right at the end of his ministry, right before he came to before he accomplished what it is that he came to do. Bartimaeus just wanted to see. He knew of his poverty and the healing was immediate. And like I said, we need to identify with Bartimaeus. Yes, he is named, but in many ways he's unremarkable. He was destitute. He was without resources. He was blind. He was a beggar. And that's what we are, saints of God. And I ask you, do you cry out to Christ in this way? Are you cognizant of your need for grace, for saving? Do you recognize that you're a blind beggar and without hope? apart from Christ? Do you seek Christ with this kind of passion and fervency that would not be put off by those that would seek to silence you? If you don't, it's perhaps you aren't aware enough of your need. Perhaps you have not yet considered the weightiness of your sin. You must ask God to show you your sin for what it is, in all its ugliness, Ask God to show you your pride, your greed, your lust. We become so good at masking these sins. We call them by other names. We we have virtuous names for many sins. I encourage you, call your sin a sin. What it is according to God's word. Bartimaeus didn't care that he was blind and a beggar and destitute. He had no status in that society. He was marginalized, but he cried out. And we must cry out to Christ for mercy. Jesus never turns away this type of cry. The Lord Jesus said in in the Gospel of John, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. So come to Christ today and trust in him completely. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the example of Bartimaeus, such a simple faith of a man who had nothing. Lord, help us to see ourselves in him and Lord, give us that kind of faith and Lord Jesus, help us to recognize that you are merciful and there is grace to help us in our time of need. Lord, that, that we can trust in you And truly, Lord, you are the only one in whom we can trust. Lord, I pray that if there is any here that have not yet trusted in Christ as their Savior, I pray, Lord God, that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would see you, Lord Jesus, crucified and risen for them, Lord, we ask. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand and hear God's benediction.